This Government Matters podcast is sponsored by Hughes Network Systems. It's time to expect more from your network. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Mimi Gerges. This is Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news trends and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm Mimi Gerges. The Office of Management and Budget released its federal strategy for agencies to have a zero-trust architecture in 60 days from publication on Wednesday. Agencies will have 30 days to appoint an implementation leader for their zero-trust strategy and 60 days to submit their implementation plans for fiscal 2022 through 2024. The strategy is a major move in response to President Biden's executive order on improving the nation's cybersecurity. The Made in America office is celebrating its first anniversary. President Biden launched the office a year ago as part of the administration's goal of strengthening federal acquisition and supporting U.S.-based manufacturing. The Made in America office is housed in the Office of Management and Budget. In the past year, the administration says it has made progress by launching the website madeinamerica.gov and creating a Made in America Council. The Federal Trade Commission has sued to block a proposed defense acquisition. The agency says the $4.4 billion merger between Lockheed Martin and Aerojet Rocketdyne would harm rival defense contractors and further consolidate markets that are critical to national security. This is the first time the FTC has challenged a defense merger in decades. A new government effort called the Hiring Initiative to Reimagine Equity, or HIRE for short, will work to expand access to jobs to underrepresented communities. The Department of Labor, along with the EEOC, have just launched HIRE to address longstanding recruitment challenges. Jenny Yang is director for the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs at the Labor Department. Jenny, welcome. Thank you so much, Mimi. It's terrific to be here with you. So what is the Office of Federal Contracts Compliance and how does it fit with hiring priorities? Well, OFCCP is an agency within the United States Department of Labor and we're charged with enforcing anti-discrimination and affirmative action requirements for federal contractors. Many people don't know that federal contractors make up about 20% of the workforce. They employ a significant uh, number of American workers and what really excites me about our work is that we take a proactive approach. We review contractors' policies and practices, provide technical assistance, and work to expand opportunity. We identify systemic barriers from hiring, equal pay, harassment, and other issues, and we work with contractors to ensure that their practices promote equal opportunity. So explain the goals of the HIRE program and your role in its launch. Well, I'm so glad you asked about this initiative. We are very excited about a new joint effort that OFCCP has launched with the United States Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. At this moment where our country is making major investments in our infrastructure and we're rebuilding from the pandemic, we don't just wanna rebuild the economy we had before, We have a once in a generation opportunity to rebuild better in a way that ensures all of us can be a part of our recovery. And I will be co-chairing this effort with uh, EEOC Chair Charlotte Burroughs, and we are working with employers, workers, and researchers across the country to identify some of the most 
promising work and innovative ideas to ensure that good jobs free from discrimination and with opportunities for advancement are accessible to everyone. And we believe that this is a historic moment that calls for us to come together to advance this common goal. Many employers have reached out to our agencies asking for actionable strategies to ensure their diversity, equity, inclusion, access, which I'll call DEIA, are meaningfully progressing while also complying with equal opportunity laws. So we're, we're obviously still in a pandemic, um, but I wonder what you're seeing as some of the obstacles for those trying to get back into the workforce after this pandemic. Well, it's a very interesting time and in many ways unprecedented because CEOs have identified the competition for talent and retention as their top priority. But at the same time, in many communities around the country, people are still struggling to be hired. And what we are working to do is identify the ways in which hiring practices, recruitment strategies may actually be serving as a barrier to accessing the full talent available in America's workforce. We call this initiative Reimagining Equity because sometimes even longstanding or common practices may actually serve as a barrier to opportunity. Once you look at the data and understand what's happening, you can understand that sometimes requirements are not actually required by the job, right? There may be criteria such as a college degree requirement that has primarily served as a way to uh, screen out a large pool of workers, um, but may not actually be required. And many employers are looking at skills-based hiring and other methods as a way to uh, recruit a broader, uh, recruit broader talent. Can you give me a little bit more information on that um, and a little bit more detail about this, the idea of the systemic um, barriers? What, what kind of barriers are we talking about? Sure. Well, thanks for that question. You know, often their uh, employers will set up criteria that may be somewhat like a habit, right, or something that people think may be a good thing to screen for, but when you actually look at the evidence, it's not truly a skill or ability necessary to perform the job. So for example, a recent study found that about 50% of major employers were screening out people if they had a gap in their resume of six months or more. So some people, particularly during the pandemic, may have taken some time out of the workforce. This can disproportionately impact women with caregiving um, responsibilities, older workers who may have temporarily retired, but it doesn't mean they're less qualified. So, and also a number of ways that traditionally hired, for example, using our social networks or word of mouth to publicize positions. And if people's social networks don't reach the full talent pool and diversity, then you're sort of perpetuating a closed circle from which you're hiring from. Or subjective interview questions or reviews of resumes and evaluations for concepts like fit or soft skills, which are not well-defined in an employer's process, right? And you can provide guidance to identify the types of actual skills and abilities correlated with the job. So that's what we're hoping to um, draw attention to, uh, provide employers with strategies to identify those barriers as well as solutions. Coming next, we continue speaking with Jenny Yang about her efforts to fight employment discrimination. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. I'm speaking with Jenny Yang. She is the director for the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs at the Labor Department. You mentioned that this is a joint effort with the EEOC. Uh, tell me how that, uh, uh, how you're working together. Um, and I understand that you used to be used to serve as the chair of the EEOC. Yes, I had the honor and pleasure of serving at the EEOC during the Obama administration. And our agencies have uh, really compatible and important authorities. Um, you know, EOC covers the uh, broader private sector workforce as well as working with our sister agencies across the government on ensuring uh, equal opportunity in federal employment. And our agency focuses on the federal contractor workforce. And it's important that we're aligned. You know, our protections um, overlap in many respects with the protections enforced by the EOC. So we saw a very important opportunity to bring our knowledge and resources together to work across you know, our stakeholder community to identify actionable solutions. So when are you expecting to see results? I mean, how do you how do you really measure success of this program? Well, this is an area that we have been um, longstanding work for our agencies as we've worked to identify what are some of those systemic barriers to recruitment and hiring. We were happy to see nearly 1,500 people join our launch event recently, and we want to engage uh, all those working in these efforts. We encourage people to uh, visit our landing page at um, Department of Labor, as well as EOC. We have a listserv through um, GovDelivery that people can sign up for to learn more. We also have email addresses on our website where people can send us uh, ideas and highlight work they're doing. So part of our measure is engagement with um, all of our stakeholders. And part of it is really the solutions that we'll be able to identify and then uh, promote as actionable strategies. And I do want to say that this work is part of, you know, broader efforts across the federal government to promote good jobs. We're focused on how we can get workers into family sustaining long-term jobs. Um, the Secretary of Labor, Marty Walsh, just launched a good jobs initiative where we are working across the federal government and providing our knowledge and assistance to workers, employers, and others across the country on how to create good jobs as our nation recovers. And Jenny, the administration's been in office for a year now. What has, what have you accomplished at labor uh, with respect to diversity and hiring so far? And what's, what are your biggest goals in the short term? Well, it is it is an important moment for us to reflect. You know, I started on day one of this administration, and we have been working to rebuild agency. Um, hiring and rebuilding our capacity is a top priority that we have across the agency. We are continuing to strengthen our uh, compliance evaluation process. As I mentioned before, that is the core of what we do. We also um, are interested in hearing from workers, and that's an area that we want to strengthen, is our connections with the worker community, as well as organizations who may know of a systemic employment problem and can come forward and file a third-party complaint um, that can help us identify where there are problems where we need to 
focus, and that can help protect workers who might be afraid to come forward. So that's an area where we're focusing on as well. Our, our ultimate goal is to create greater accountability as well as um, you know, consistent enforcement to help promote that. So employers are engaged very actively in meeting their requirements. So this is you know, important for us moving forward. Equal pay has been a longstanding uh, priority of mine and for this administration. And we have a unique ability through our routine compliance evaluations to collect data from employers, analyze that data to identify statistically significant patterns, and to help employers understand what might be causing that so that they can address and fix that for long-term equal opportunity. So advancing equal pay will continue will be an important priority for OSCCP in the years ahead. And we're also launching a revitalized construction enforcement initiative. This um, is an important area for this administration as we invest in our infrastructure. So we're working both to evaluate uh, construction projects across the country and to work with our sister agencies that are very interested in ensuring that their procurement process advances equal opportunity. Because um, across the government, you know, President Biden has made a strong commitment to a whole of government approach to advancing equity. All right, well, Jenny, we appreciate you being on the program and good luck with the program. Thank you so much for having me. Coming next, instances of fraud have spiked in the last year. Straight ahead on Government Matters, how one agency is combating the risks of identity theft. We'll be right back. The mission of the Federal Trade Commission is to protect American consumers. Part of that is reducing the risk of identity theft. At the beginning of last year, there were nearly a quarter million reports of fraud related to government documents or benefits. Kelly Slaughter is the identity theft program manager at the FTC. Kelly, welcome to the program. Thank you. I, I'm happy to be here this morning. So from the last quarter of 2020 to the first quarter of 2021, there were nearly a quarter million identity theft reports for government documents or benefits. First, explain what kind of documents and what kind of benefits we're talking about. Well, government benefits fraud actually was the number one identity theft reported to FTC in 2020. And that, that surge was a big deal and had a lot to do with identity th thieves filing false unemployment benefits claims using stolen identities. The scam peaked in 2020 as scammers set their sights on billions of dollars in federal funds meant to help people in financial distress. So this is really pandemic related um, because of everybody filing for unemployment. I guess thieves said, you know, we want a piece of that. Yes, they do watch the headlines and they will follow them. Was there any other reason that could have uh, accounted for that huge spike? Well, in essence, government benefits fraud has always been around. But the, the spike actually came with those billions of dollars that were set out there to help people in financial distress. And it, it was really attractive. So the numbers dropped significantly to about 12,000 in the third quarter of 2021. What, did you do something to, to 
lower that, or was that simply because there just wasn't as much uh, filing for unemployment? Well, there could have been two factors to make an impact on those numbers. First of all, the FTC did partner with the Department of Labor in order to design cons some consumer information and some protections to help to reduce the impact of these, un these unemployment benefits claims that were going in. As well, the government programs that were meant to help people through this pandemic actually ended in 2021. So those billions of dollars that were attracting scammers to file these false claims, well, the attraction is not as great at this point in time. You know, there's also obviously credit card fraud. There's um, people stealing your identity to get a loan, all kinds of things like that. Is, is this um, segment, the government documents and, and the benefits fraud, is that the most common target for these types of, of crimes? Typically, we see that credit card fraud would be our number one category in uh, reports filed with the FTC uh, reporting identity theft. 2020 just marked a different era for a lot of reasons, uh, but mainly because government benefits fraud ended up being the top uh, category. Typically, we see that 25% of the reports to FTC would end up being those uh, credit card fraud identity theft uh, reports. In, in 2021, uh, we've seen that it has reverted back and credit card fraud is the number one uh, reported identity theft right now, as well as we saw the government benefits fraud drop down to 17%. You know, I wonder how identity theft has evolved over the time that you've been following it. And what are some of the challenges that have occurred as a result of that evolution? Well, we've had many challenges that we have to deal with because, again, the scammers watch the news. They watch what's happening in the headlines. They watch the environment to see what, what scheme is going to make it easy for them to get money or get personal information. And, you know, we, we meet these challenges by coordinating with other uh, entities and resources, law enforcement, in order to go ahead and make sure that we're getting out the correct advice to people to help them to protect themselves, to spot scams, to be able to avoid identity theft and to recover from it, should they actually uh, have their identity compromised. And I mean, as you know, everyone is at risk of uh, identity theft. What are the top ways that um, people can take to mitigate that risk? Well, there's several ways, and I'm sure that a lot of people are already doing certain things, such as using strong passwords, no longer using mom's maiden name in order to uh, have the that be their password, as well, not using the same password across all of your accounts. They also, um, hopefully, are taking the steps to make sure to shred their personal financial documents that may have been sent to them in print. Uh, hopefully, people are more people are using multiple multi-factor authentication when there's that option is available, and definitely keeping software up to date as well as uh, making sure their internet connections are secure. Your website is identitytheft.gov. How does that website work? That is an interactive website that is a one-stop shop for people who need to recover or get advice about identity theft. You see, in the past, it has been challenging for people to know exactly where to go and what to do 
in different situations. Well, identitytheft.gov offers a personalized plan for over 30 types of identity theft. When they come to the site, they're able to go ahead and enter in what has happened to them. How was your information misused? And from there, they can get a personalized recovery recovery checklist that will walk them through each and every step that they need to do in order to recover from identity theft. It also streamlines the process for a lot of um, of types of uh, identity theft in that FTC partnered with the IRS so that when people come to identitytheft.gov, in order to report that their identity was stolen and used for taxes, um, to, to claim taxes, the IRS actually, when they complete the form at identitytheft.gov, they're also completing their report to the IRS, filing their affidavit online with them at the same time. It's not that they have to go out and do two separate reports anymore. Uh, Finally, Kelly, Identity Theft Awareness Week starts next week. Uh, What are you doing to participate in that? Well, we have a series of things that are going on. We've partnered with AARP and ITRC, as well as the Department of Veteran Affairs to put on um, webinars. We have Twitter chats and podcasts, and every day there is a different event going on so you can learn more about how to spot, avoid, and uh, recover from identity theft. Our links and the uh, event details are at ftc.gov slash idtheftweek. All right. Well, Kelly, thank you very much for sharing that with us. And uh, we appreciate you being on the program. Thank you. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, it's at govmatters.tv. And find us on social media. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook. We're on Twitter at GovMattersTV. And connect with us on LinkedIn at Government Matters Media. Send us your comments and suggestions. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 10.30 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on 7 News to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Mimi Gerges. Stay tuned for an interview with our podcast sponsor, Hughes Network Systems. I'm here with Tony Bardo, Assistant Vice President for Government Solutions at Hughes. Tony, welcome. Can you start by just telling me what Hughes does for the federal government? What we do is provide connections. We connect the dots, meaning we use a number of various technologies to connect federal agencies, their locations, their people, in ways that are not traditional, uh, meaning that the connections that formed the government networks as we know them today, and has as we've known them for a lot of years, have been through dedicated facilities, dedicated network facilities. We have been taking this different approach to connecting all of our customers through the use of broadband, originally satellite broadband, but now managed networks and managed broadband services that include cable, 
include DSL, include wireless, include uh, traditional fiber, and, uh, and, and satellite, of course. Well, tell me about the HughesNet Gen 5, because that's the largest high-speed satellite internet service? It is, it is. It's a very exciting service. We launched it um, back in 2016, and even an earlier version of it, Gen, which was known as Gen 4, that are called high-throughput satellites. And these are satellite services that took satellite connectivity and speed and capability and capacity to a whole nother level. This is a service that we sell to our consumers. We sell it in a more robust fashion to um, our industry partners and customers, as well as the government. Well, tell me what you're doing for the federal government with relationship to artificial intelligence and machine learning. We use our artificial intelligence capabilities to drive innovation with respect to customer care, customer delivery, the use of understanding what our partners are capable of supplying in terms of broadband uh, services. And we use them to sort of understand in a proactive way, in a, in a speedy way, what could be predictive behavior of the network and use that predictive behavior to monitor the networks and monitor the network services. It takes sort of the guesswork out of it because we use the artificial intelligence to, to give us more information than we would be able to get manually. And I understand, Tony, that you're also working on um, critical network backup and emergency connectivity for first responders. Obviously, that's gonna be more and more of an issue. Can you tell me a little bit about what Hughes does in that arena? Well, we've had a great deal of success in this area, and we've been pleased and, and honored to, to serve the particularly the FEMA community and the emergency response community with rapid deployment of satellite technologies where all of a sudden those technologies because of a disaster are no longer uh, capable of, of connecting people. For instance, in Puerto Rico a few years ago during the hurricanes, we deployed hundreds of satellite services throughout the island, both commercially and in support of FEMA's efforts. And in the absence of terrestrial ground uh, infrastructure that was working, satellite was really critical. All right, well, Tony, thank you so much. Nice chatting with you. Thank you, Mimi, nice chatting with you. Thanks for listening. Our daily show is produced by Catherine Roloff and Drew Friedman. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.